I want to start by sharing just an idea about this concept of bookends. We, there are a lot of bookends in life. Um, most of you know what a bookend is. A bookend is a, a device that holds up a row of books, and it can be put on either end of a book, bookshelf to hold the books together, you know, so they don't fall down. But we can also talk about the concept of something being bookended in life. Like we could say, this peanut butter has been bookended with two slices of white toast. And, you know, that would be a stretch. Obviously, I made that one up. But the con- concept of bookending something is, is um, something that we all understand. And uh, today we're going to look at the life of Peter. And it's at one of those important bookends of his life. It's at the end of his time with Jesus. And we're going to see this amazing time when Jesus appears to Peter and reveals himself to Peter again. You know, there's a lot of places that this concept shows up in life. You know, you could be invited into a jury, and in the morning, it would be a group of strangers, but by late in the afternoon, you would know things about this group that you would have taken years to come to know, except that the fact that you've been brought together. So even in one day, we can see things that are bookended in our life and how relationships change with time. And there are also, I think, what I would call spiritual bookends, those important moments. Even Yael mentioned during the worship time, the amazing ways that the Lord comes and reveals himself to you, and how those become marking points in our faith. Think about all the different ways that the Lord has revealed himself to you over the years, even today or this week. Or some of us could go back to when we were children or teenagers and all the different moments and places in time that he um, taught us something. He showed us something about himself. So that concept of bookends, we're going to see this come to life today in Peter's life. Uh, we, if you know anything about the apostle Peter, you know that he, um, he's often rash but his, his reaction to life is something that helps us grab on. Often we become really critical of what he, how he behaves. And yet when we look at it, it becomes a lesson for life. And he's an amazing character. He needs a lot of affirmation and correction from the Lord. Um, he needs just clarification on who Jesus is over and over again. You know, in, in a lot of ways, he's like us. Um, And it's here in John chapter 21 that Jesus um, had gone to the cross, and last week we talked about the crucifixion, and Jesus was raised to life, and he appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem, but then Jesus said to them, go on ahead of me to Galilee, and you'll see in the text here this lake of Tiberias. Tiberias was a town on the Sea of Galilee. So the apostles, the disciples, Peter and some of the men, they're back at the Sea of Galilee. It's their hometown, and they're still living in the new reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and yet he's not with them the same way he was um, for the last three years that they've been following him. So here they are, and they return home, and so the boys decide to go out fishing for the night, and that's where we'll pick up the story. Um, I like how one writer, F.F. F. Bruce, put it. He says, here in Galilee, 
they find themselves in one of their old haunts by the lakeside. This is the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nut on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put, out, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This now was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Peter decides to go fishing, and his buddies decide to go with him. The disciples, the other disciples are still following Peter at this point, and they go out and they fish all night. A lot have critiqued and criticized Peter because he's gone back to fishing. Some have wondered, has he given up following Jesus altogether, and he's going back to what he knows? There could be some truth to that, but I think um, from what we see in Peter, what we have seen, what we'll see today and what we see in the future, um, we know that Peter needed time to figure things out. And I believe that he went to, back to what he knew to have the space to figure out what was happening. If you know anything about fishing, you know it's a place where you can think and be in nature and allow your mind to figure things out, to work things out. But they fish all night, which is you know, an indication that they were uh, struggling, and they struggled through the night with it. And then Jesus appears to them at daybreak. I think we see in this passage the tender way that Jesus appears. He, he just shows up on the side of the seashore with, with a question, with a command, with an invitation. And he uses a few words just to uh, make himself known among the disciples. 
The first sentence has been what has captured my attention this week. And it says that Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. That word again has caught me because uh, Jesus has already revealed himself um, since his resurrection. But here he does it in such a different way. In, in a way that um, leaves really no question about what Peter is supposed to associate in this story. I talked about the bookends of life and Peter's bookends. There, there are some details in this story that are so similar to the way that Peter was first called that he would, I mean, for him not to feel it and understand it immediately would be uh, almost an impossibility because of the parallels. So Peter's been following Jesus for three years. He gave up everything to follow him. And then here within this story, as Jesus reveals himself to Peter again, there are some things about this story that would have awakened Peter. And actually, there are, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but we'll see how far we get. There, there's so much in this encounter that awakens Peter to where he's been with the Lord. Um, the most clear parallel comes from Luke chapter 5. When Jesus was teaching at the Sea of Galilee, there was a crowd on the seashore. And it, it was just like the crowd was pushing Jesus up against the water. So he sees a fishing boat. And he, he jumps in the fishing boat and he, he just says, put it out a little bit so I can teach. And Jesus teaches from the boat um, throughout, you know, I don't know how long it was. Teaches for a while from the boat. And, and then after, um, after he's done teaching, he looks to, okay, whose boat is this? So he looks to the fishermen. And they're, they're cleaning their nets on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And he says, fishermen, um, Let's put out into the deep. Put your nets out into the water. And they say, Master, we've, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. But at your word, we'll do it. So Peter gets in the boat. And they, they go out to sea, and, and they put the fishing nets into the water, into the deep. And it says that there's such a large catch of fish that Peter has to call over to the sons of Zebedee. Hey, guys, get your boat. Come over here. There's so many fish, they're starting to tear the nets. And we need your help, like, pulling in this haul of fish. And and it's at that time that Peter falls to his knees and he says, Master, depart from me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men, become a fisher of men. He says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And there in the Gospel of Luke, we have the statement that Peter left everything and followed him. So now Peter's been following him for three years. And Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He he's, rises again. And then now he reveals himself to Peter again. This story is really about Peter more than anything else. And, and it's in that connection that I think we can find some of the meaning for us to think about in your own life. What does it mean for you to follow Jesus? What are the different ways that Jesus has bookended himself in your life to awaken you, to reveal himself to you over and over again? 
And how does he want you to connect those moments and interpret that in a way that helps you follow him in, in all the different ways that he wants, wants you to follow? So going back to this chapter, it's such a tactile passage. You can, you can almost grab onto any detail. We, I studied this with a couple groups this week, and one of the details that we started to get caught up on was the 153 fish. It's kind of an interesting detail. And for years, over the years of the church, people have looked at that figuratively, mystically, symbolically. Um, but as we were talking this past week, you know, one person said, well, when you go fish- fishing and you catch uh, just a surprisingly large catch of fish, what do you do? You count the fish. And someone else remarked that it's amazing that that detail would have been carried through all these years. So even a simple detail like that is, it's like a rung on a ladder. You know, we grab on and, and we start to learn from it, but it's just a rung on a ladder to help us move through the text and to learn what is actually being said here. The, the purpose of this message is not to get caught up on 153 fish. It's an interesting detail to think about, to process. But then you've got to move on to what's really being said. Look at what Jesus says in this passage. Children, do you have any fish? Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Come and have breakfast. These are the only words that Jesus uses to reveal himself to Peter. And how does Peter respond? Well, first of all, John, the beloved disciple, the, the, one, the, the disciple whom Jesus loves, he doesn't get called John, but through history we believe that um, that disciple is, and he identifies him here at the end of this chapter, is John the Apostle, um, likely the writer of this gospel. It's, it's John who sees it's the Lord. John has the eyes to see that it's the Lord. And he says, Peter, it's the Lord. And I love Peter's reaction. It says that he's stripped for work, but he dresses himself to meet the Lord. And what does it say? It says that he throws himself out of the boat. And uh, th- that word there, throwing yourself, is, it's, it's when the inside of what you know um, encounters your body and, and the, the resistance that you feel in life. Have you ever been in that moment where Maybe you're laying in bed and something clicks. Um, I need to go make sure that the front door is locked. And you think about it, and you're like, tired. So <laughs> you have to force yourself. You know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go check to see if the door, front door is locked. And then it's locked, and you're like, ah, okay. Well, there's a lesson here. Um, you know, so this is, this is Peter. He throws himself. He physically picks himself up. How do you pick yourself up? It's this volition of willpower that he connects that, yes, John just like, helped me figure out that, yes, it's the Lord. I'm going to dress myself to meet the Lord. And I'm going to throw myself into the water. This is another bookend in Peter's life. There was a time when, and I know a lot of you remember this, Jesus was walking on the water, and the disciples saw it, and they couldn't believe their eyes. And it's amazing. In Matthew 14, Peter says, Lord, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. 
And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat. And it says that when he sees the wind, he starts to get afraid. And he starts to um, get captured by the fact that he is walking on water. And how bizarre that is. So the Lord Jesus, he just reaches out and he grabs him. He says, why were you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. And here, it's, it's Peter now on the other side of that, just saying, you know what? I'm going to throw myself into the waters of recognition, the waters of belief. Yes, it's the Lord. And this is a great lesson uh, from Peter. Because, you know, I see something in him that often I lack, which is, you know, I might be more like John. Uh, you know, that's the Lord. You know, that, you know, that's the Lord, and that's good that we can see that, but, you know, it's not, sometimes I feel like it's not in me to jump out of the boat, and, and with that kind of urgency, and yet we see it in Peter. So have you, as a follower of Jesus, have you thrown yourself into the waters of belief and recognition? Have you been able to say, yes, that is the Lord? It's more mysterious for us, and we'll get to this, but Jesus, after his ascension, is more difficult to see. But have you, have you responded to who Jesus is through his word, through the stories, and through um, awakening to his presence in your life? Well, the story continues in um, verse 15. Because if we left there, then it really, it would end at an awkward place. Because we have to go into this next interaction to really figure out what's going on. So, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Again, here we have just such a clear and crisp connection back to another moment in Peter's life. In fact, the last meaningful conversation that Peter had with Jesus Christ 
was most likely when Jesus was saying, where I'm going, you cannot go. And Peter said, no, Lord, wherever you go, I will go. I will follow you wherever you go. In fact, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. In fact, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. Peter can't believe it. He just cannot believe it. And we know from the story that this happens. Throughout that day and that evening, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. And he's cut to the heart. Have you ever um, had one of those days where, you know, you just, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and then you get into a tiff with someone like one of your kids or a friend or your spouse or a coworker, and, and then there's some separation comes along, whether it be either you got to go to work and now like you're separated from this person that you have a disagreement with, or maybe it's at work and now you have to move on to the next phase of a project, but yet there's still this tension. And how the feeling of that, that unresolved uh, disagreement or this discord, just how that starts to eat away at us. Sometimes it can be more extreme. We, we know stories of when a loved one dies suddenly. It could be a child or a parent or a sibling or a distant relative or a friend. And, you know, there was some unresolved business that hadn't been dealt with and how difficult that is to carry in life. Well, this was, this was Peter. He just watched uh, Jesus be crucified on the cross. And all he knew was his denial. So this story is Jesus coming to him and saying, Peter, do you love me? And by Jesus repeating it three times, he's giving Peter the opportunity to respond and say, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then in that, he, Peter, uh, Jesus gives Peter his new calling. The sheep that I've been so careful to take care of, I'm giving you the authority um, to go and take care of them. And that's how Peter's called to follow. In fact, in the next chapter, you can turn your uh, just one page, two pages to Acts chapter 2. And there in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to all of Israel, saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has revealed And made it known that he is Christ, he is the Messiah, and he is Lord. He is is our Kyrios, our Yahweh. He is God among us. And he's proclaiming Jesus' identity to all of Israel, literally in our Bible, like the next page, which is amazing. So in Peter's life, we see um, just this great ability to react to to the invitation Come, follow me. Jesus' first words to Peter and his last words to Peter are the same. Come. It's an invitation. Come, follow me. And his, his last words are the same. Follow me. And in our lives, we have to work this out. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We live on 
the far side of the ascension. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus has ascended and he's been seated at the right hand of the Father because he accomplished his mission, that he laid down his life as a ransom for all of humanity, and he has completed his mission. And now Jesus is um, hidden among us. In fact, if you want to know how to see Jesus, you have to think about it. It's, it's interesting. Um, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. We know that from the VBS theme, Colossians. And yet he returns and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is invisible. And yet he, he is the visible God who has made God visible through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So we have the account of his life to know, to know him through that. And then scripture tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2 tell us this, to think with the mind of Christ. We've been given the spirit of Christ. That's the, the whole message is that we have been given the spirit of Christ. And not only that, but individually we are members of the body of Christ. So you can call it whatever you want, but mind, body, spirit. These are words that everyone in our world gets. They don't know how it all works, but yes, they know mind, they know body, they know spirit. The mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and the body of Christ are within. And that is how we follow. And um, it should be possible in any setting, in any place, in any time in history, within any profession, Anywhere in the world, any stage of life, whether you're a child or an older adult, any situation in life, whether through relationships, we should be able to translate what it means to follow Jesus in our lives. And that is the great work, the personal work of our faith, that we would respond to the first invitation to throw ourselves in and that we would follow him all the days of our lives. But what's, what is common to following? I want to leave you with three words as we turn to the Lord's table. And these words aren't flashy, they're not fun, but I think they're foundational to what it means to follow. So, really, these are the three, three words that I would leave you with and the marks of a follower of Jesus. The life of the follower is marked by serving. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to serve or to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And second, the life of the follower is marked by sacrifice. I said these words are not flashy or fun, but this is what Jesus said. This is, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. That's Luke 9.23. And third, the life of the follower is marked by suffering. Peter wrote this to the, later in 1 Peter chapter 2 as he was writing to 
um, the future people of God, he said, and listen to this for yourself. Listen to this. Listen to what Peter said, okay? Been talking about him all morning. Listen to what he said to us. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I, th- I think it's so ironic because often we try to avoid suffering. We try to get out of serving and we try to make no sacrifices. That's basically life, right? That's our tendency. And yet, um, you know, as one of your pastors and shepherds, I feel like I've been given a glimpse into your collective suffering and all the forms and the, the different fashions that it takes. And suffering doesn't even overlook the child among us. It comes. And suffering is, is one of the ways that we follow after Christ. There was a Dominican friar and teacher and preacher, Johann Taylor, born about 1300 in Strasbourg. And he had a friend who was another Dominican, Henry Suso. One day they were talking. And uh, Johann Taylor said to Suso, do not look for trials and assume extreme penances, but learn to accept the myrrh of suffering sent by God. For when accepted lovingly, these bring joy. There's the myrrh of suffering in our lives, which actually is the way that we follow Christ. And as we end with the Lord's table, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering Jesus' death and also his resurrection, the new covenant that's been offered in his blood. And whenever we um, celebrate this meal together, we're remembering together that yes, collectively we identify as followers of Jesus. So this table is for the believers. So if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't thrown yourself into the sea, then certainly you know, don't feel obligated to, to eat this meal. This meal is for the believers. But at the same time, I would not um, stop you from celebrating this table. If you, if you can identify as a believer in Jesus... So I want to invite you as an invitation to this meal because that's what we're called. We're called to offer this as an invitation. So allow me to pray for us and the, um, the team will come to play instrumentals during this time and the deacons will come and serve the Lord's table among us. And I want to challenge and encourage you to use this time as a time to evaluate in your own life um, those three words, service, sacrifice, and suffering. Of the three, what is the Lord calling you to um, identify with this morning? And maybe you're like Peter and you just need to renew your uh, recognition of who Jesus is by throwing yourself into the water again. And we want to pray that for you. We pray, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would continue to Cast your grace upon us as we um, seek to follow you, a risen Christ, ascended on high, seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet given us all we need to um, live a vibrant life of, what it, of true followers. 
Lord, we are stuck in a culture that um, thrives on leadership. Lord, we raise our children not to be followers, but to be leaders. And we confess that. Um, But what you desire, Lord, is you desire followers more than you desire leaders. So we just submit to that and we just ask for um, this time as we come around your table and conclude our service that you would do a great work in our hearts, um, renew our calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.